0: Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Like Nate said, my name is Ryan. If I haven't met you yet, and it's great to be able, able to speak this weekend and wrap up this series. And I also just want to welcome our Appleton campus and our online campus, Germantown. Can we give a big round of applause to them today? I have family joining us via the Appleton campus, so no, no pressure. But uh, hi, Mom. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, this series struggles has been one that has reminded me of a a story of when I was in preschool, and uh, everything goes back to preschool at some level, you know. And so in preschool there was this this one day, and it's like one of it's the first memory that is really stuck with me that of me rebelling. Okay, so it's like if you've seen Inside Out, this has like become a core memory for me. So anyway, so in preschool, if you haven't seen that, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway. The teacher said, and this is is the middle of winter, Minnesota, it's cold out, and so she says, put your coats on, it's time to go outside for recess, and everybody's pumped and excited. And I would go out the door, and I don't have my coat on, and the teacher says, Ryan, you have to put your coat on. And I looked right at her, I don't know what got into me that day, I said, I'm not putting my coat on. Just a little four-year-old punk, you know? (laughs) And she says, well, then you can't go outside, like trying to call my bluff, and I said, okay, fine. I'll stay inside then. And she's, <laughs> you could tell she was just a little bit shocked because this was not necessarily, like, this was not typical behavior for me. I was not, I was a pretty good kid for the most part. And so she was like, what's going on? And so she says, well, then I'm going to have to call your mom. And she's going to have to come get you, thinking, okay, that'll finally, he'll, he'll, you know, snap into shape at that point. And I said, well, fine, then call her. <laughs> so she calls my mom. My mom, I mean, my mom comes and picks me up from school. From pre- I had to go home early, and in the, on the car ride home, my mom hadn't really said anything to me. She was just as shocked as the teacher was. Kind of like, you know, we still joke about it to this day. Like, what, what happened that day? And on the ride home, she says, "Ryan, wh- what happened there? What was, what was that all about?" And I just said, "I don't know. I have no idea. I actually wanted to go outside. I think I just..." I think what happened is I went outside without my coat on and then I realized it and then she caught me in it and then I was like too stubborn to admit that I had just gone outside without my So I just stuck with it and I was like, I don't really know, I'm not sure, I'm sorry, I don't know, it won't happen again, you know, type of a thing. And for many of us, I'd like to think that the older I get, the less I have moments like that. But I still to this day have moments just like that. Where afterwards I'm like, why did I do that? You know, why did I say that? Why did I react that way? Uh, why did I, you know, what, what's going on inside of me? And in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, this is kind of the crux verse of this entire series where Paul, he just says it real plainly. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. What I hate, I do. Paul's saying, Guys, I haven't figured this out either. I don't know why we have moments of just, you know, just lapsing into, you know, just things that we didn't want to do and we did them anyway and things that we don't want to do and he's, that's what this whole series has been about. And over the past three weekends, Pastor Aaron has gone into great detail and Paul uh, explains it a little bit more. He unpacks that statement, Romans 6, 7, and now today we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 where he goes into detail and really tries to figure out what's going inside of me, like why theologically speaking, why do we do some sometimes the things that we don't want to do? why is there this tension and this struggle going on and so Pastor Aaron really laid this out I mean this is kind of the simplified version, but this is kind of what we've laid out the last three weekends, and what Pastor Aaron has explained is that before Christ before you know you ask Christ into your life you're a slave to sin, you live by the flesh it's just you know, there's no regret for sin. It's just kind of like that's just how you live your life. And then at conversion, Romans 10, 9, and 10, when we confess our mouth, with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved, there's this conversion experience that takes place. And probably many people in this room have experienced this. Probably not all, but many have experienced this. And then after death represents uh, that when we are finally dead to our sin, and when we are slaves to righteousness. And that's kind of the goal to get to. And on this side of eternity, it's near impossible to really get to that. But that's kind of the sanctification process is going from conversion to becoming more and more like the image of Christ. Somewhere smack dab in the middle of this is where we deal with struggle. It's where we are, uh, bef- that we still have the flesh before Christ. It's s- the same flesh after we receive Christ. But our spirit has been re- rejuvenated. Our spirit has been regenerated. And so there's this, this spirit and flesh that are just butting heads constantly. That's the struggle that Paul's describing in Romans chapter 6, 7, and today we're going to talk about 8. And We love testimonies where somebody says, you know what, man, I was so messed up, and I was, man, I was addicted to all sorts of drugs, and I was just a terrible person, and then I received Christ, and everything changed and I stopped doing all of those things, and everything was great. And we love those testimonies, and we hear those testimonies, and don't get me wrong, those testimonies happen where God can, in, in, in a moment, completely change somebody. But even those people still deal with this struggle. All of us do. And so why is that? How do we manage that? How do we get through this? How do we, you know, how do we wrap our minds around this? And in Romans chapter 8... I believe Paul, and this is, again, the last chapter in kind of this section of Scripture, Romans 6, 7, and 8, are really, it's one continuous thought for three chapters. But Paul gives us some more clarity. And I think he gives us some very helpful, uh, almost like a blueprint of here's how we manage this struggle. And I like to think that it's just, here's the one, two, threes. Just do these things and you'll be good. But it's not that simple. It's a lot more spiritual than that. It's a lot more spiritual than it is just practical. But if we will let these truths sink into our hearts today, I believe it will absolutely change the way we live our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul starts out with what I believe is maybe the most unbelievable verse in all of Scripture. It's definitely one of the, the, the... Most influential verses in all of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, he's referencing the past two chapters, this whole conversation, he's referencing, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could stop right there. I mean, we could preach sermon after sermon on that one verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a light to our path. God, and I just pray as, as we dive into Romans chapter 8, that you would illuminate something in our hearts, God, that it would, it would penetrate our souls, that we would never be the same, God, because of the work you've done in our lives. And I pray that you would stir up our souls today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue through Romans chapter 8 and I just have to warn you a little bit Romans chapter 8 might be the most theologically rich chapters in all of scripture it's it's one that is Filled. I mean, it's one that you could study for a really long time and, and, and might not fully comprehend all of the things going on, all the theological principles. So I, in, in one 30-minute sermon, I don't intend to cover everything. We're not even going to look at every single verse. I would highly encourage you, though, throughout the week, uh, go back and read Romans chapter 8. It's such an incredible chapter. And now having the context of Romans chapter 6 and 7, Romans chapter 8. You can read it through just a really healthy lens. Uh, and so, but there's three principles. There's three things that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 that I, that I think relate to this struggle. And our, our, our truths, again, that if we will let really sink into our hearts, it will absolutely change the way we live our lives. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. We must know our position. Know your position. And what I mean by that is Paul says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is saying that fundamentally when somebody accepts Christ into their life, their position changes. It it absolutely changes the position they have in Christ. He says, you used to live by your flesh, now you live by the Spirit. Your position has radically changed. And in the next ten verses, we're going to read them in just a few minutes, but he really explains what he's talking about by that. Positionally, though, we have absolutely had a shift, and we have access to the Father that we did not have before. There was, we now have access that we did not have right here. Let me explain it like this. I, I, everything for me goes back to a story of some sort, and this helps me learn, and so if anything, this is just helpful to me to think of it this way. Uh, so uh, just a couple summers ago, um, I took Ben. My, my, he's now almost six. At the time, he was four. Took him to a baseball game. And so I actually got tickets from the Life Church staff. It was a birthday present, and uh, it was very, it was an awesome weekend. We actually drove to Minneapolis, stayed overnight, and then went to the baseball game. Had great tickets. They were like two rows up, right by the Twins dugout. It was one of those uh, just perfect weather type of days. Ben actually got, one of the players handed him a ball, like saw him, came out of the dugout, gave him a baseball. I mean, just awesome dad of the year type trip. I mean, it was just... It was it was really just a, me- I mean, we still talk about it all the time, and so uh, it, it, it was just an awesome trip. And so because we had gotten the tickets for free, it was like, we're just going to hoss out on food. And so I was like prepared to spend like 50 bucks on food for just the two of us. I'm like, it, just, you can have anything you want. And so, uh, of course, he gets this bowl of nachos that comes in a uh, batting helmet, you know, so like... <laughs> like a full-size one, and, and we get a lemonade that's like no joke. That, and it, you only get free refills on the really big one. You ever notice that? It's just kind of strange to me. So anyway, like you even need more than that. So uh, we do that, and so for the first, we got there for batting practice, and so we're there early. We're just checking things out, and it's just a great day. For the first few innings of the game, I mean, I don't know how many times. I mean, we're talking huge lemonade, Tiny little bladder on a four-year-old boy. I mean, we just go back and forth, up and down the stairs multiple times, forget napkins at one point, spilled the nachos one point, spilled the lemonade at one point, had to go take advantage of our free refill on that. And so we're just it's just up and down. If you've ever been to a baseball game with kids, you know you're probably not going to watch a ton of the game, and that's okay. You have to go into it knowing that. Uh, and so we're just back and forth, up and down the stairs, and we're all, all the way at the bottom, so it's kind of a long, long hike. And about the fourth inning, one of the ushers, an older gentleman, comes up to us, and he says, sir, can I see your ticket? I'm thinking, what did I do? Am I in the wrong seat? And so he looks at it, and he says, I just want to let you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but these seats, this little section right here, just a couple of rows, there is a a designated uh, restroom, and there is a designated concession stand just for these few seats. What? I had no idea. I was part of me was frustrated because I'm like, I've just how many times have we gone up and down these stairs? And then, but then the other part of me was just overwhelmed by excitement. VIP stuff like that is just really cool to me, and it never gets old. And to a four-year-old boy, I mean, I kind of told him I was like. Maybe there's some players down there. I don't know. I don't know how, how, how you know, cool this is going to be. And so we, I don't know how many times we just went to this little VIP type area uh, just because we could. You know, like it, it was air conditioned. A brat just tastes better when you don't have to wait in line for it. And so the bathroom smelled good. I mean, it was like, what's going on? So long story short, as Christ followers, that's the, that's the type of access that we've been given. I know that that analogy will break down at some level that, compared to this, but that's the access that we've been given, whether we know it or not. That at conversion, we've been given this access to the Father that we did not have before. And sometimes we just forget about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I, did, I didn't realize that. Sometimes we don't even know that we have that access. We're not even aware that we have this access. And, and there's other times that, that, that we simply ignore it that we just say, you know what, I'm, I'm good, I'm just going to walk up the stairs and go to this concession stand, go to this bathroom, because it, it's familiar, I know it, but I'm, I'm good. And God is saying, man, if you would just fundamentally, if you fundamentally wrap your mind around the, the fact that your position in Christ has completely changed, that you have access to the Father that you didn't have before. It's not earned by us, it's not, I didn't have to, like, I didn't pay any extra <laughs> for, the, for that access. It was just, this is, this is part of the deal. If we keep reading, Paul, in the next 10 verses, unpacks that a little bit more. It's 10 verses, it's a little bit lengthy, but it's going to be on the screen. just want to read through, uh, Paul describes this, this positional change that we used to live in the flesh, now we live in the Spirit. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Kind of talked a little bit about that last weekend. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, man, what an awesome, an awesome promise. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. What's Paul talking about here? He, he, he kind of repeats himself a few times, but he's, again, he's going back to the fact that anyone who is in Christ, that your position has changed. You used to live according to the flesh. Now you live according to the Spirit. And it's not one of these deals. Sometimes I think we read that and say, you know, Paul's saying something like this, that if we would just s- stop living by the flesh a little bit more, and start living by the Spirit a little bit more. And, and we would have more days that we live according to the Spirit than according to the flesh It's all going to work out. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we have anything to do with living by the flesh or living by the Spirit. He is saying fundamentally and positionally, you have, whether you like it or not, at conversion, you are now led by the Spirit. You are no longer led by the flesh. And that word led, actually, in the Greek, is often defined as to pick up and carry. It's not saying, yeah, just come with me, you know, the Spirit, just come with me. He's saying, no, 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 the Spirit leads you now, and that's why so often there's conflict now when somebody accepts Christ because their, their flesh wants to do one thing, but the Spirit is dragging them along saying, no, you know, you're going li- to, this is the way to go, that we are now being led by the Spirit. That's, what convic- that's where conviction comes in, that we're convicted when we, when we have fleshly desires or when we act on those fleshly desires, because we are now being led by the Spirit. It's, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that takes place at salvation, where the Holy Spirit is now there to lead and guide. And there's, a, you know, there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And as Pentecostals, that's something that we talked about in the in the series, the Ghost. But at salvation, there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that takes place, where the Holy Spirit is now living and active in our lives. And so Paul's saying. Fundamentally and positionally, your position has changed. I love the way the message puts it in Romans chapter 8, 9 through 11. He says, but if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking of more, uh, more of yourself than of him. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive. To himself. Thank God for this new position that we have in him. The second thing that we have to to really understand and know is we must know our Father. You must know your Father. As Paul continues writing in in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, he talks about this very thing. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are, are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit and we are, that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in this, his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If we're going to manage this struggle well, we have got to absolutely know the Father and Paul he, he uses this phrase and we cry out abba father and i think there's a there's there's a lot going on in just that one phrase that we cry out abba father and the question for me that that, that i ask myself and maybe you'll ask yourself today is have i lost that abba father cry have i lost that that cry it's if, if you have kids you've probably experience this, where they just cry out to you as a parent at times. Got the rain coming down. That's good. But where they cry out to you, and they say, you know, I'll have times where my kids are getting ready to go to bed, or maybe they're already laying in bed, and I'll, like Eli will just yell out, Dad! And I'll come into the bedroom thinking, like, did he like, hurt himself? What, like, he's just crying out. No, he just needs a Band-Aid. And I'm like, why do you need a Band-Aid, buddy? He's like, uh, 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 my finger hurts. I'm like, he doesn't have any marking on it or whatever. And there's so, so often kids, they cry out because they just, they're absolutely convinced that you as a parent care. <laughs> they, they're absolutely convinced that you care about every little detail of their life. And as children of God... We must absolutely be convinced that God will answer anything, that he's always right there, that we have this cry for him. Abba, the word Abba is often translated as daddy in English. I mean, that doesn't even begin to describe how adolescent, how childlike this word really is, how intimate this word really is. Jesus modeled this when any recorded prayer in scripture, he started with the word Abba because there was this intimate relationship between him and the Father, And not only that, but uh, there's only one time where Jesus didn't use the word Abba in a prayer to God. And it's when he was hanging on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he shifts, he changes from this Abba Father to this sovereign God. And in that moment, ironically enough, there's no coincidence to it, I don't think, that in that moment, he's actually purchasing for us the ability for us to cry out, Abba Father, for us to have that kind of intimate relationship. He's taking our place in that. Do you know your Father? A few weeks ago, I, um, I was at a, a service, uh, and it was an ordination service, and so uh, there was the, the preacher there had, was kind of challenging all the, all the ordination candidates, and, and uh, it was a message that, that really, really stuck out to me and he he talked about it was a real simple message but it was pretty impactful he he talked about this verse in Rome excuse me in Psalm chapter 42 where david who david was always crying out to god i mean that if you read through psalms that's he's constantly crying out to god but in in psalm 42 he says as the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you and he said if we're going to make it He was referring specifically to in ministry. He's like, if we're going to make it a ministry, but if we're going to make it as Christ followers, we have got to long after God. And he said, you know, what happens when uh, your body starts physically losing water? You know, when you have 2% water loss in your body, you'll begin to have maybe a headache, you'll feel a little bit of fatigue. When you have 5% loss of water, Uh, You'll have major fatigue. It'll start to really impact the way your body's functioning. And at 10% water loss, your body is starting to go into survival mode to the point where you're on the verge of having a heart attack. Better get to the hospital. At 10% water loss. How much more so? if, If the presence of God is water to our souls, as Scripture says that it is, all cover to cover, it talks about the presence of God and relating it to be in water to our souls? How much more do we need the the presence of God in our lives and to really know our Father? That doesn't come easily. That comes through a lot of time. That comes through a lot of reading the Word for yourself. I mean, that comes through times of prayer where we cry out, Abba, Father, and just have a dialogue with our Heavenly Father. I mean, there's so often that people will be struggling with something. They'll maybe come to me or another pastor on staff and they're they're asking, what do I do? And nine times out of 10, the advice is real simple. It's like, man, spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, know the Father, develop that relationship. It's not gonna wipe out every struggle, but it is going to minimize it. It is going to be like, you know what, God, I go back to your word. I stand upon your promise. And even though I know that I want to do this, or my you know I'm having these fleshly desires, but God, I know what your word says. I know that that will lead to destruction. And God, so I stand firm on your word. We have to know the Father. And the last one, when we know our position, when we know this no-condemnation position that we have in Christ, and we really know the Father. And knowing the Father, it's not, that's not a place of arrival. Like, one day I'm just finally going to really, like, I know Him all the way. No, it's just this continuum. In the Christian walk, it's this continuum. But when we know all that, we will know our hope. We must know your hope. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory That will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into freedom uh, and glory of the children of God. We know that the, whole, uh, that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. What you know? What's Paul talking about? He, he he's kind of again. He's there's some a lot of theological things going on in this one passage. But first of all, to under to really understand, I think what he's talking about, I'm going to do my best to to describe it. We have to first understand how how Paul and how much of the Bible views sin. Uh, the Bible doesn't refer to sin very often as an action like I did this I sinned I gossiped that is a sin it doesn't it doesn't really it it does but it does that's overwhelming that's not the overarching uh, the way that the Bible describes what sin is the Bible describes sin as a like a virus that has come into the world and if you read through in, in, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, that sin infect, comes in when, when Adam and Eve sin. And since that point in time, it has thrown everything into chaos. I mean, it, it has, nothing in, in the world functions the way it was originally designed to live. This virus of sin has infected all of humanity. And so when Paul is talking about this groaning, this waiting for, what he is referring to, I believe, is he's saying, you know what, sin has thrown this world into chaos, but there will come a day, there will come a day when it's all put back together, and there is perfection again. There will come a day when this virus is wiped out forever, and that's the day where we are going to be with Jesus in heaven and so Paul says, as Christ followers, we have a different hope. We have a hope that is, it, it absolutely will change the way you live if you understand that someday, all of these questions that we have, all these struggles that we have, I mean, things that were, maybe aren't even sin-related, just the fact that there's cancer in the world, all of these questions will be answered at some point because we have this hope in Jesus Christ and Paul says we've got to let that hope sink into our hearts. I often view it like a like a ladder. I mean, if if just track with me for just a second, but a, a ladder, not the kind that folds out, but just envision the kind that you need to lean against a wall. Uh, those types of ladders, they they're only as good as the wall they're leaning against. You know, so if they're If they're leaning against a wall that's or or something that's not very sturdy, I mean the ladder doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And so often in life as as just as humans, as Christ followers, we like to build walls to lean our ladder against. We build a wall of finances and success and our job. We build walls of our, our family and our marriage. And and we actually, and these aren't bad things, but we actually ask God to bless our wall. We say, God, would you just, man, make my wall sturdy, have it hold up. I just, you know, just that this ladder doesn't fall. And we say, God, would you just bless this wall? And what Paul's saying here is he says everything decays. That wall that we've built will absolutely crumble at some point. And he says, move your ladder to me. Put your ladder against me. It will never decay. I will never move. You will have a, a, a movable hope. In Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of hope? As we wrap up this uh, four week series, uh, it, it kind of leads to this whole point of, of hope. Um, in, in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31 through 39, we're going to read it in just a second. But Paul, it, this whole chapter, this, these, this whole dialogue, the last three chapters, it all leads to this pinnacle of having hope. In Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know what? I get it. We struggle. We do things that we don't want to do. And, and there's, he, he really explains the theology behind that. But more overarching than that, he says, guess what? There, there is a hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we read Romans 8, 31 through 39. And it's a great portion of scripture. It's, it's one that many of you have probably heard before. But it's one that unless we understand Romans 6, 7, and, and the first half of 8. I don't think we fully understand the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and why we absolutely need this hope. We can't do this on our own. We are going to constantly live here, and we're going to revert to living here if we don't let this hope sink into our hearts. And so here's how I want to close today, and here's how I think I want to close this, this series. So I want to read Romans 8, starting in verse 31 through 39, and just want these words just to sink into our hearts today, that we would leave this room and leave this series with this hope. So I'm going to ask, if, if, if you'd like to, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, would you close your eyes with me and just let these words just sink into your heart today. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Stop right there for just a second. Paul, somebody who was beaten within an inch of his life, time after time after time. Paul, who was shipwrecked. Paul, who had gone through anything you can imagine. After all of that, he says, I am absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.